season's greetings and welcome to another festive edition of Jaffa Cakes for Proust. Joining myself, Gary, is Tilt. Hello! Now, when I asked you last week, I said, are you in the sort of festive mood yet? You said, sort of. So, has it improved in the past seven days? Are you fully all snowed up and ready for Santa? <laughs> I'm breaking kayfabe. That was yesterday, from my point of view. <laughs> this is the kind of nonsense that I will sort of mention as an opening, and then usually you just sort of cut it out because it's not really relevant to the content of the show. But I think you should keep this bit in because I haven't made any of it up. It's all absolutely true. On the doors in my flat, basically, they've got like these sort of, it's like a sort of circular piece of metal that's attached to them and it covers up a, basically the area where the door handle goes in to the wood. And one of them has become loose in the past few days. And I'm not kidding, right? Every single time you open or close that door, it sounds like sleigh bells. Right. No, honestly, I'm not even like <laughs> embellishing or anything. It really does. So I'm thinking, this is fantastic. It's almost like, yeah, I've got my own audible sort of Christmas decoration. I didn't even have to do anything to get it. All I've got to do is just not fix the door handle, basically. But then presumably I'll have to fix it in January because then it's, it's going to be old hat. Well, I think it's time that we got you into the Christmas spirit once and for all, sleigh bells or no sleigh bells. So today we are talking about what we've provisionally termed the perfect Christmas on television. And for those of you who didn't hear us talking last week about the sandwich man, we explained the protocol here. But basically, we're not doing makeshift Christmas schedules. We'll leave that to people on you know the forums and what have you. This is us ploughing our way through the Christmas TV schedules, normally of 1960 all the way through to 1989. And then each of us, we're going to nominate our favourite year's lineup. And mainly we're sticking to Christmas Day we can exercise a little bit of leeway if there's something in particular that piques our interest on Christmas Eve or Boxing Day, whatever it may be. We've been browsing a lot of copies of the Times Digital Archive over the past few days, weeks, months, but then that's not really any different from normal, is it? So it's it's not, we can't really write that off. Forgive me if I'm being unfair to you, but I do get the feeling this is one of your little things that you really like going through Christmas Day schedules and deciding which is best and which is worst. I think there's some truth to that. I think also, I like going through schedules anyway, Christmas or otherwise, because, put it this way, there's, there's a chap, he mentioned about the fact that back in the day, before multi-channel TV arrived, it was possible, theoretically, to actually watch a little bit of every single programme that was on television that day. And when you've got... A limited amount of airtime and a limited number of channels, the schedules look so much more interesting. It sounds ridiculous to say that, but it's the truth. When you look back at schedules, you know, all the way back to say late nineteen eighties and, and older, they're structured. They're properly structured. It was actually it was a book that I once got from the library. I'm not really sure, to be honest, how on earth this managed to find its way into Rothsey Public Library, but it did. It was a book from the mid-1970s, and it was talking about all manner of television production. So it was really a sort of insider's guide. The kind of thing that was sort of like aimed at maybe senior year school kids. So, you know, if you're thinking of going into the industry, here's stuff you should know. And there was a particular section in it, and it actually broke down the whole business of scheduling programmes. And it explained about how you're going to have variety, you're going to have this genre, that genre, this genre, so on and so on. You've got to bear in mind things like 
how often you can show a particular program and how often it can be repeated and what the ideal sort of gap is between an initial airing and a repeat airing. And it talked about also, are you a scheduler for BBC or are you a scheduler for ITV? If you're a scheduler for BBC, you want to try and position programs so that they arrive during the commercial break on ITV. And I found all this fascinating. Uh, and I think in some ways, like so many other things in life, I was born about sort of 20, 25 years too late. Into a world that doesn't care. Well, this is it, because when you get to the stage, and I know that I'm not, I'm not in any way putting down people who are schedulers today, because it's still an art form, it's still much sought after skill. But when you've got so many different channels, it's hard to believe that somebody who is program planning for a channel which goes out in the 200 numbers on satellite is in a position to be able to look at all the other programs on all the other channels and then plan their schedule accordingly. I'm interested in things like competitive scheduling, bits and pieces like that. And I don't know if you spotted it actually, but there's an instance of that going on in a year that you're going to talk about later on. So yeah, I think you're right. I think this is one of my things. And also there's there's, there's elements in here as well of well, we'll talk about them as time goes on, but I think that you probably looked more in the 1960s than I did, and I probably looked more in the late 1980s than you did. So do you want to start the ball rolling 1960 onwards? Okay, let me throw this out, for example, to kick things off. There was a piece in, I'm sorry to mention it, The um, Guardian, and it was about, I think it was 1995, and this guy, I don't know who he was, the, the author of the piece was, and he was arguing that Christmas Day TV in 1995, let's say it was, was just as good, if not better, than the supposed classic years. And he illustrated this with a big photograph of Wallace and Gromit, I think you know, there was a new one of them on that year and what have you. And I'm not sure if he was being deliberately foolish or if he was just being foolish, but the example that he gave was a Christmas Day schedule from the mid-1960s. And he was sort of banking on the fact that some people wouldn't even recognise some of the names that were on the schedule. And then he said, I know, compare it to today's schedules. Oh, well, you know, come on, it's at least as good, if not better. And of course, if we're going to be really generous, then he's willfully misunderstood what the golden age of Christmas Day viewing was, because it wasn't the 1960s. It was the 1970s. That's when Christmas Day viewing is the gold standard. But nonetheless, what did you find of particular interest in the 60s to get you interested? I was interested in some of the broad patterns in the BBC, Billy Smart Circus, ITV, Chipperfield Circus. Or the Kelvin Hall Circus, if you prefer. Also, Christmas means the black and white minstrels. (laughs) So many times are they scheduled on Christmas Day. By the way, do you know when the first time Coronation Street was scheduled on Christmas Day was? Oh, no, you're going to tell me something outrageous, aren't you? You can tell me it was like actually 1960 or something. It was 1961. Core. In fact, 61, 63, 67, 68, Christmas Day, Coronation Street. So I'm sure that somebody who was wanting to thunder about how things aren't as good as they used to be would point to soaps being on Christmas Day as being part of the problem. And I've just realised maybe you'll do that. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say... We're not talking about soaps, though. We're talking about Coronation Street, and their Christmas ones tended to be a little bit more sitcom-y than usual. There's, yeah, there's a there's a big, big difference between nowadays you have a solid hour of Emmerdale, solid hour of Corrie, solid hour of EastEnders. 
Now, EastEnders has never been known particularly for being jollity and gayness and what have you. But certainly Coronation Street and Emmerdale and what have you, yeah, they, they would have had sort of light-hearted editions back in the day. And from what I've seen of some of the listings, it, it looks like it's just basically saying, yeah, they're having their knees up at the Rover's Return. Way! And what's wrong with that? That, that sounds great. That, that sounds like top entertainment. And it doesn't matter whether you're a regular viewer or not, because you can still enjoy it. There's not going to be much plot development going on. ITV Christmases in the 60s are interesting because it's much more of a do-as-you-please. I mean, I think there's networking. It's interesting how much ITV occasionally ploughs on as normal. So 1960, we've got something we watch. We've got an episode of Pathfinders to Mars. It's just part of a serial. There. Five to five, Christmas Day. We can't just skip a week. Danger Man's being shown, I think, on ATV. There are no Christmas episodes of Danger Man. I'm just currently re-watching the show. I'm pretty sure. No, and of course, that would have been half-hour Danger Man, which I finished watching. Yeah, there's no Christmassy Danger Man. We've even got Armchair Theatre in ABC Land. There are, like, pantomimes and specials, and there are Christmassy things. But, right, Anglia. I'm just looking at Anglia right now. 25 past one. Farming Diary. <laughs> for 35 minutes. But yeah, that's a Christmas knees up, though. It's interesting how much ITV are kind of not letting Christmas get to them. The Armchair Theatre that night is the Great Gold Bullion Robbery. So we do have later on Roll Back the Carpet and Dance and Christmas Day in Israel. And Alice Through the Looking Box, which I think is a kind of a variety special. Might look at the uh, 1960 TV Times, but yeah, it's, it's peculiar. And it takes a long time for ITV to be completely networked on Christmas Day. Everybody's getting the same thing at the same time and it's all Christmassy. One thing I think I'd suggested to you a while back, which is just nonsense of course, it's just whimsy, but I got it into my head what if during the outset of commercial television what if one of the concessions to those who were concerned about the onset of this and what it was going to lead to just sort of wall-to-wall you know, American shows and commercials left, right and centre. What if one of the concessions had been on Christmas Day and perhaps Easter Day, there will be no commercials on ITV? Now, I'm being intrigued to see what they actually would have done in that case. I mean, it probably would have been just solid repeats. I doubt whether they'd actually put a lot of new programming on. So I'm still looking at Christmas Day 1960, and what's interesting is one of the big free-for-alls is 7.30. So, I mean, right smack in the middle of the evening. Okay, there's about three regions all showing Danger Man, presumably the same one, but ABC, it's Christmas in Dingley Dell. TWW are showing Cannonball. Southerner with Danger Man. Tiny's Christmas Star Parade. STV, the Bob Cummings show. Who's Bob Cummings? Uh, I should know that. I'll get back to you about that. And in Ulster, Roundabout's Christmas Party. So it's very peculiar, though, that right smack in the heart of primetime, everybody's just going their own way. Well, the thing is that you wouldn't really have had any need to know what was on in other regions, unless you lived in an overlap area, or if you're reading just the national newspaper for your TV listings, then you're going to get your local, it might not be the TV Times, it could be TV World, or it could be Luke Westward, or whatever it is, and that's your programmes, that's what you get, and your trailers and so on are all produced accordingly by your local franchise holder. 
Have you looked particularly closely at the schedules for the 60s? I've browsed some. I have some notes in front of me, one of which I'm sure we've mentioned on the air before, but I just I can't tear my eyes off it. So, yeah. You're one 64, year, right? You're one year away. Yes, indeed. But, yeah. So, the big Christmas night film, 25 past 9, 1963, BBC One. Want to take a guess? Hang on, so hang on. Big Christmas night film, 1963, BBC One. Yes, 9.25, so... 9.25. Okay... I'm going to guess the age of it first of all. I'm going to guess the age of it is maybe 10 years old. Is that about right? Bit older. Bit older? <laughs> okay. It's a talkie, isn't it? No. What? The Gold Rush. Charlie Chaplin film. Which, admittedly, it's only 38 years old at the time. <laughs> they might be showing the semi-talkie version, which is kind of narrated by Charlie Chaplin. I don't think I have... No, I don't have a Radio Times for that day. See, the thing is, that that's something that you don't really get nowadays, is it? The, the, the idea of films which were so phenomenally successful that they don't end up on television for decades. And probably the last one that I can think of would have been Gone with the Wind, which had its premiere. Oh, yes, I remember the big fuss being made about that. 1981. Whereas, gradually, the, the lead time tends to be six or seven years, by and large. And then eventually it shrinks and shrinks. And now, of course, I mean, it's all different nowadays, of course, because you've got films from the same year ending up on, say, Sky Cinema you know, at Christmas time. And then it'll probably be on Terrestrial the following Christmas or whatever it may be. But you don't really get that kind of thing anymore. But it would be nice to actually see it in 2018. It would be nice to see a film that was so successful in cinema that they just said, no, no, we're not going to put this on television. This is staying put. This is ours. And then 38 years. In 2050. I don't know. It might not be a premiere. It might not, but I'm thinking because it's got such a plum slot, it's a possibility, isn't it? So let's move on to 1964. For the most part, it's a pretty good schedule for me. Mm-hmm. I could watch that right up and, and you know, maybe even by 10.25. No. Who knows? No. I might actually be in the you mood. Would not, you would not be in the mood for an episode of The Great War. It's Christmas night, for goodness sake, and before anybody says it, it is not the one where they play football on Christmas Day, which obviously would have made sense. It isn't even that one. And it's repeat. So repeat our programme has already been on BBC Two. Yes, but it's 1964, 50 years since the war started. So. I know, I know, but oh, not on Christmas night. Come on. It is very surprising, yes. The subtitle of that particular episode is Part 11, Hell Cannot Be So Terrible. Oh, boy. Merry Christmas, everybody. We're back again, aren't we, too? Anybody want a turkey sandwich? We're showing it from this date to this date, and if one of those days is Christmas Day, no, tough, it goes out. It's not right. No, I'm not having this. I don't like this business when Christmas falls on a particular day and it's like we're going to do what we always would have done. And there's loads of examples. I mean, that, that one stands out a mile. But there's plenty of examples of that all the way through the decades where you've got, usually it's Sunday and... In a way, it's a bit of a con trick that the broadcasters can play because they can sort of roll two into one so they don't have to have a religious service on Sunday evening as well as that week's Songs of Praise or Highway. They can combine them so, you know, they can sort of get away with a little bit of killing two birds of one stone. But also you have all the things like, do you remember when like the countdown final used to be on Christmas Day? <laughs> that's, that's really, isn't that really bizarre that you'd be watching something ordinarily and then... 
on the one day where the chances are that you can't really even get to the television set. I mean, no, it's not the same for everybody, of course, but for a lot of people, you couldn't even get access to the TV, let alone get access to the remote control. And I know what would happen if, you know, I was in a busy household on Christmas Day and I said, right, shut up, shut, shut up, shut up, everybody. Right, now, I know you're all enjoying Indiana Jones, but the countdown final's coming on. That wouldn't get very far. So I'm just looking at... Uh... Christmas Day 1964 on ITV. Uh, let me just check and see if this is... Yes, I think it's networked. Yes. Their big night movie is The Pride and the Passion, an epic film of human spirit and adventure. Only a giant cannon can help the Spanish peasants regain the walled city of Avila from the French. But during the tortured, brutal trek to Avila, the gun becomes a violent enemy resisting... Well, you get the idea there. Hang on, is that not a synopsis to The Magnificent 2? And that's 8pm, 15 minute break for news, and it finishes at 20 to 11. Finishes on the 27th. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, we were watching, though, they were watching a Stanley Baxter Christmas show from 85. And I was looking up the listings for that day, because it was the 27th, 27th of December. Ben Hur is on that afternoon. Three hours, 25 minutes. And that's BBC, so no commercial breaks, no interruption for news, nothing. Honestly, I mean, it doesn't matter how good a film is, you have to eventually go. Could you hold it for three and a half hours? I wouldn't want to try that. They must have had an intermission Should we talk about my issue with, I don't know, I have this issue with films on Christmas Day. You do, don't you? I think we mentioned it when we did the Green Bird experiment last year. But I don't know, I have this odd problem with them. I'd be happy if they weren't shown at all. But if they have to be shown, I want them to be frothy and bitty and not particularly demanding. For some reason, anything that's got too much narrative and action breaks the mood for me. Now, this is what we were saying last week about The Sandwich Man, is that there are certain films which are ideal for Christmas afternoon. I know we're jumping ahead, but Christmas 77 on ITV, they show to see such fun in that slot after The Queen. That's perfect, isn't it? I mean, something like That's Carry On, you know, the compilation from the same year, funnily enough. Something like that would be ideal in that particular slot because you've had your din-dins, you're stuffed, you're sort of nodding off, you're probably tidying bits and pieces up, and you don't really have your entire attention on TV at that stage. But later on in the evening, if they're going to show like a thriller or something like that, and if they're going to show like The Day of the Jackal, that would never work... <laughs> That wouldn't work at 10 past 3 in the afternoon. I know they wouldn't. I know it was too early in the day for it anyway. But you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, They're not going to show you anything which requires your concentration in the afternoon. That's for later on at night. But you're not keen on films later on at night either, are you? No, I'm not keen on them at all. So I'm just looking 65. Everybody appears to be... Well, not quite, actually. Some people are showing a film after The Queen. But I don't think anybody's showing the same film. Oh no, Grampian and ATV are showing Moby Dick together. Bod is showing the Barefoot Contessa. Tighties is in on the Moby Dick action, but Southern showing Mrs. Miniver. National Velvet on TWW. Well, I won't just go through the entire list. Oh, actually, no, hang on a minute, I have to go. Anglia is showing the Lucille Ball Comedy Hour. Hey. Followed by something, the Lion and the Horse, whatever that is. That's so maybe 1964's big grand everybody show the pride and the passion experiment didn't pay off because <laughs> in the evening there's no film at all 
But again, we've got stuff like Court Martial and Lost in Space being shown in the evening. There's, there's still that, right? Christmas is over on ITV. <laughs> is that the announcement? Christmas Day 1965, this first time Doctor Who was shown on Christmas Day. And they actually made sure that it was a completely inessential bit of fluff because nobody's going to be watching Doctor Who on Christmas Day. So when they tune in next week, they'll be lost if we actually advance the plot. So (laughs) They didn't even tele-record that one. So when they were trying to sell the serial afterwards, they skipped it. It's like, don't need it. So there must be some sort of bizarre law that's like you actually have to put something out. If a series is going through Christmas, it has to be shown on Christmas Day. And yet there's that understanding that we can't actually expect people to be properly paying attention. I don't like this business about Christmas Day being a day of the week. And I know that sounds ridiculous because obviously it is. But it's Christmas Day. I don't look at it as Monday the 25th of December. I know that technological devices, your phone and what have you, is going to display that. and. C-Facts and Oracle would have done. But no, it's Christmas Day. It's Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, it's Boxing Day. And then after that, you can have Tuesday or whatever it is. The only importance, as far as which day of the week is concerned, the only importance it has is which London ITV region is providing programmes. Is it one, the other, or both? Here's an interesting example of, well, the series is showing, so... 1968, Thames Television, 10.45pm. The sex game. Whoa. It's 1968, officially. And that was a series of plays. A play called Hippie Hippie Who Cares by Fair Weldon. And with that marvellous, emphatic, slightly scary credit directed by Wojtek. But that really did leap out at me. Was Mary Whitehouse in the Seychelles that year? Was she away? <laughs> I just, I've got this idea in my head now that there's a point at which Red First Kyle blows a whistle and officially announces, right, Christmas is done on ITV. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've, we've all had a lot of fun. Now let's put everything away and gonna get on some serious programming. Like those little reminders to turn your television set off and unplug it from the wall socket. And here's a reminder that... Uh, Take down your Christmas tree and make sure the lights are unplugged before the sex game at 10.45. <laughs> it's not a program. We just know what you have planned. Okay, so 69. 69 well, 69 has... is the beginning of the golden age. That's the year when ITV actually discovers Christmas, isn't it, really? Which coincidentally is, of course, the first colour of Christmas, like BBC's. Well, the big film that night is Robin and the Seven Hoods, which I kind of approve of. It's a musical... It's nonsensical. Hans Conrad's in it. Because that's the first time we have the Mockman Wise show on BBC One on Christmas Day. I don't have much to say about Christmas 1969. How can you not have much to say about Christmas 1969? It's got All-Star Comedy Carnival show one with Des O'Connor in colour for two and a half hours. You would have been watching that, wouldn't you? Oh, definitely, yes, I think. Oh, wouldn't it feel weird that there's no Queen at three o'clock? What? Oh, that was because that was the year they had that film Royal Family, wasn't it? Mm, the, the Queen felt that they'd been overexposed on television. So something is not there. And in many ways, it sort of acts as a form of punctuation in the schedules. You've got before Queen, after Queen. After Queen is when the ratings war begins, really. It begins at 10 past three. So to suddenly just leap into Billy Smart Circus or whatever at three o'clock just seems odd. So I've just noticed Yorkshire are not showing Robin and the Seven Hoods. I just so spotted that, My yes. approval would be yeah. meaningless. So would you be watching Alan Wicker? 
I very much doubt it. Oh, BBC One showing McClintock. Now, 1970, I think, is a good one. Apart from the fact that ITV have sort of reigned in the parade by being in black and white, but we can't help that. And it's a split Christmas on ITV. Oh, as the commercials said. <laughs> we actually have the Thames LWT handover in the middle of a programme. I don't know why, but I think that not only should that have happened officially, it should have interrupted the programme and been an official handover ceremony, it should also have been networked as well, because it's Christmas Day. Do we know that that didn't happen? No, but that would be astonishing if it did. But I don't know, maybe it happened during a break? I can kind of visualise how it would happen, that we go sort of like end of part two for All-Star Comedy Carnival, and then David Hamilton would pop up and say, well, All-Star Comedy Carnival will be back after the break, brought to you by our colleagues at London Weekend. No, no, they wouldn't do that, would they? Be they wouldn't, they wouldn't say, no, they say, that's the end of All-Star Comedy Carnival. <laughs> and uh, let's just having a look at the Radio Times. Well, it's you're halfway through Christmas night with the stars. I'm sure if you turn over now. <laughs> Full closed-down sequence. National anthem, and then David <laughs> Hamilton says, and don't forget to switch off your set and unplug it from the mains. Until Monday. <laughs> <laughs> and then 7pm, the first thing you hear is an LWT announcer saying, wait, don't touch it. We're still on. <laughs> so you think it would have just gone by unacknowledged? Wouldn't have been an awful click at some point? Well, the- yeah, yeah, the, when the post office are doing the switching, but I think yeah, there's a good chance it would have happened during a commercial break, and the same thing happens in 81, of course. I think the Muppet movie is running during that time, and yeah, presumably it would have just been arranged thus that it happened. You see, we were talking earlier about the way that different ITV companies went their own way. What if London Weekend didn't want to show the Muppet movie? <laughs> I think... They probably had they probably had meetings where they discussed these things. And maybe Grada had to get in between the two of them and say, like, calm down, <laughs> calm down. Come on, you're going to spoil it for everyone. By the time we get into, and I know that Carlton and LWT shared facilities, so it's not so tricky anymore. But I think there were times by that point when they actually did have the switchover during Home and Away. Home and Away would start at 10 past five. The switchover officially was still at 5.15. So by that point, it would be, I guess, a sort of seamless transition. But no, I, mean, I know that I know this rumour about how sometimes Thames put on less popular programmes on a Friday night before seven o'clock. But yeah, I suspect that would not have been allowed to spill into <laughs> ruining the network's fun on Christmas night. So over on the BBC, I, the daytime I find a little bit blah. I'm going to include Billy Smart. I'm not really that big of a fan of the circus. Well, actually, your favourite programme, Christmas 69, was on days earlier anyway, wasn't it? Because it was on at 12.25pm on the Saturday before Christmas. And that was, of course, Zocco! Oh, Christmassy Zocco, wow. That have looked like... And we're still in Series 1, aren't we? Oh boy, when it's supposedly psychedelic and disorientating. So 4.30 Disney time, 5.10, Robinson Crusoe, pantomime with Ken Dodd. Then Christmas Night with the Stars, Morecambe and Wise, Sherrod. I don't know if I've ever seen it, but I think it's just a frothy bit of nonsense with Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. It's been on Talking Pictures TV recently. I think Walter Matto's in it as well. And the good old days at 11 o'clock. And fine, I mean, even, even right at the end, but seriously, Joyce Grenfell, Cyril Fletcher and Ernie Wise are what the story of the nativity means to them. So you've got religion and you've also got 
Ernie Wise. No, the thing is, the earlier on, that Disney Time was presented by Harry Worf. That'd be good fun games. Also, on Christmas Eve, we had the Gang Show Gala with Peter Sellers. Sorry, my eye was caught by a show on BBC Two. Bird's Eye View, from Bishop's Rock to Muckle Flogger. Only because uh, I had to relook at it, because I thought for a moment, somehow, in 1970, BBC Two was showing Fraggle Rock. <laughs> More than ten years before it actually started. No, the Gang Show Gala, Christmas Eve, BBC One, Peter Sellers, Dick Emery, Graham Stark, obviously, Cardew Robinson, Reg Dixon, and David Lodge. Well, hey. That's all right, isn't it? But then again, they're going spoiling things because they've got the play of the month on at 9.20. No! It's Christmas. I don't want anything of the week of the month. Nothing like that. Come on. So 1970 is a really good Christmas evening for me. That's one I could happily crash in front of. Of course, ITV, they're still doing All-Star. They've got On the Buses, which I think we're going to be talking about next week because we've seen that particular episode. And it's Val Dunican during his ITV years. 1971 is when ITV show the absolute perfect Christmas night movie. Around the world in 80 days. It is really nothing but just wandering around, looking at nice locations, and, oh, look, it's him. Oh, look, it's that. So it's her, and it's, it's them, and oh, yeah. And, and why is that guy saying, cook? He must be famous somewhere. I think ITV is actually a really nice lineup on Christmas Eve. Because, let's say, for example, we're in London. We have today, obviously today, you know, these days, of course, is remembered for one particular notorious incident in 1976, but we'll worry about that. Today, to give it its full title, today is Christmas Eve with Eamon Andrews. Hey. And then you've got an episode of the new Dick Van Dyke show. That feels a little bit like Thames saying to LWT. Right, you can have this and like it as your inheritance. <laughs> Seven o'clock, Comedian's Christmas Party. We've got an episode of The Persuaders. We've got the Fen Street Gang, Val Dunican again. And then after news at 10, we've got All This and Christmas too. Oh. Are you intrigued by what that might be? <laughs> Stay tuned, folks. We'll be talking about that next week. Yeah, so ITV and Christmas Eve, I think, has got a not at all bad lineup. But... Even though I haven't picked it as my perfect year, I'm going to say BBC Christmas Day 1971, I think is about as close as perfect to a Christmas Day lineup as you could possibly get. We've got plenty of things on. We've got Michael Aspel introducing some cartoons and what have you in the morning, and you've got your Christmas Day service. As far as I'm concerned, Christmas Day, BBC One, it starts at 10 to 1, and we've got Ken Dodd, and he's having a sing-song. After that, we've got... Now, this is except for viewers in Wales who did not actually see the first series of this show. Believe it or not, we have the first ever Christmas edition of Bruce for Life and the Generation Game. Top of the Pops, quarter past two. We've got The Queen, three o'clock. Billy Smart Circus, ten past three. The aforementioned Black White Minstrel Show, quarter past four. Obviously, Christmas Day that. fixture. Well, no, I wasn't making any comment about it. I'm just saying it's on. They're going to have a sing-song. You know, it's your favourite. Five o'clock. Aladdin, starring Scylla Black, recorded at the Wimbledon Theatre. After the news, with Richard Baker, Weller by Bert Fjord, we have Christmas Night with the Stars, which is the two Ronnies hosting, which they will be again the following year. And then we've got Mark and Wise Christmas Show, probably the most famous show they've ever done, almost certainly the one with the most 
number of repeated sequences because this is a show with Glenda Jackson, with Andre Previn and with Shirley Bassey. And we've got a film premiere, which is Arabesque with Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren. And then it's your Christmas good old days. Now, I reckon that you could put on the TV for Doddy and I think you could just leave it on for 11 hours straight. You've got no reason why you have to go anywhere else with that lineup. It's brilliant, isn't it? No, that is a good one. It is. That is, that is phenomenally good. That, that, that's a template which has been set there and which they're going to stick to pretty much rigidly from then. With one single exception, they're going to stick with that pretty much rigidly until 77. I really like the film fun style illustrations in the Radio Times for that day as well. To be honest, I know you're saying about how it's, you know, it's good film and all. You're not going to switch off BBC One halfway through Mark and Wise, probably halfway through the Andre Previn sketch, which you're never going to get another opportunity to see. You're not going to switch that off halfway through to see Around the World in 80 Days, are you? But that's the thing, it's Around the World in 80 Days, so you can actually watch right up to the end of Mark and Wise and just jump in and just let it wash over you. You can come in partway through, it's fine. It's only personal preference that leads to me not selecting that as my choice for perfect Christmas viewing, but it's a belter, isn't it? That to me is when I think Christmas night viewing, as people sort of remember it in terms of, you know, the rose-tinted spectacles and what have you, that's pretty much the year in which it starts. Slight sense of shenanigans in 1972. Have you seen what the film on ITV at 10 past three is? Ten past three. Oh, ah, well, yes, now then, that you have a point there. <laughs> Give everybody their mocker and wise fill just now, and then people will think later on, oh, we've seen Eric and Eric today. Well, yeah, they're showing, they're showing that Riviera touch. They could have shown the intelligence men, which is good. It's just like, right, we'll show this, and by the end of it, people will be sick of Morecambe and Wise, <laughs> and they'll come running back to us for the way west with Kirk Douglas. I don't want to get all sort of teary-eyed here, particularly about a programme that I didn't see because I wasn't born. And as I understand it, some of this actually does survive because there was footage of this shown in a documentary about Morecambe and Wise a few years back. But 11.30am, we've effectively got a children's version of Christmas Night with the Stars. Now, the billing says, 11.30am, a stocking full of stars opened by Michael Aspel and Roy Castle featuring Bruce Forsyth and the Generation Game, Basil Brush, Blue Peter, The Goodies, Animal Magic, Laurel and Hardy, Penelope Pitstop, Tom and Jerry, Vision On, Yogi Bear. Now, I actually think that's one of the nicest paragraphs ever written in the English language. Isn't that lovely? You know? Just like Glassball yes. and Roy Castle larking about on Christmas morning and you've got all those wonderful shows and cartoons. That's fabulous. I don't care what ITV have got on the other side. That's what's going on. You know, all of our friends who like, you know, genre stuff and cult programming are going to quite annoyed at us. Is that the first showing of the Stone Tape on BBC Two? Is that the premiere? Very famous Nigel Neal play. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was just about to ask what it was. Philistine. It's a high-tech ghost story for Christmas. I figured we'd have to mention it. Now, otherwise, BBC 72, remarkably similar to 71. Little bit sort of changing the order of events somewhat. But yeah, we've still got Billy Smart. Is there a sense though that they are now in their imperial phase and they know what they're doing? Well, one key difference with 71 is that Bruce's Generation game has been promoted because I mentioned there the fact that his first Christmas Day airing is going on at lunchtime. 
Whereas here, five to six. It's in the same slot as it is on Saturday nights. It's there as the show which is going to shore up the audience for the evening. Yeah, and that, that's where it's going to stay. For it also largely robs us of anything to say for a while, doesn't it? It does a little bit because 72, I don't want to quick mention 73, though, uh, on ITV, two o'clock. The Glories of Christmas. Hey. Which is just all over the place. It is part razzle-dazzle, moderately, shall we say, naff. Hey, Christmas naff. Christmas naff is good. But the thing is, you're saying this, and obviously programmes on Christmas Day... 1973 on ITV. There's no way that's going to survive in the archive. How's anybody going to get to see that in 2017? <laughs> By getting Les Dawson, the ITV specials, on DVD from Network. Yes. You mean it's on there as an extra? We have Princess Grace of Monaco reading out the nativity story, so we have the sort of the solemn religious element, and we have the best bit, which is this oddball bit in the middle. Hey, Dickensian, that's that newish thing. Did it start last year or all Dickens characters interacting? We've got it here. We've got it on the glories of Christmas. We have Dickens characters all over the place, all meeting each other. We have Les Dawson as W.C. Fields as, I've forgotten the name of the character now as well. Oh, he's, uh, what's his name? Isn't he? As in, like, uh, James Hater would have played him. Pickwick. No, no, no. Doesn't he? Doesn't actually isn't James Hitter in this as Pickwick? Is he? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I was right then. I have a Good feeling. You know, no, I'm trying to. I can't. It's completely gone. It's one of the most famous Dickensian characters. It was based on Dickens' father, and played by W. C. Fields famously and so famously that when Les Dawson plays him, he decides to play him as W. C. Fields. For some reason, I can remember that Gerald Harper's playing Mister Jingle, but the name of this incredibly famous character from English literature has just popped out of my head but let's not spoil the big reveal because i remember you tell me because you'd seen it already so you say well, you wait till this guy turns around and he turned around and i initially didn't recognize him and then oh wow, hang on a minute yes i get it now so yeah we won't we won't spoil that yeah it's like whoa it's uh, who is he <laughs> oh it's him he's not an actor i noticed that in 73 because you're saying about how you know 71 you know, sort of spoils our discussion for 72, 73 because they're so similar. A couple of things to mention about 73. The one significant addition to the lineup on Christmas Night 73 is Mike Yarwood. And great film for Christmas Night, as far as I'm concerned. I think you disagree. The Odd Couple. Oh, but Neil Simon on Christmas Night. Yes! It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. No, not for ten past three, admittedly, but for half past eight at night, certainly. And your alternative, to quote Albert Steptoe on BBC Two, is Swan Lake with Margot Fontaine and Rudolf Nynev. You did that last year. Did I? Yeah. Both. So we're even recycling gags and ones that, that actually we've just pinched from other shows. Oh dear. Quatermass in the Pit, are you going to watch that? Who's showing Quatermass in the Pit? BBC Two, 73. Uh, no, it's a bit of a drag. It's a good film. Sorry, no, it, it is good, but Christmas Night? No. I'm trying to bring up the entire cast list for the glories of Christmas here. I really feel I need to read it out, because I can't even remember every single name that's on here. Oh, I think it's technically a Stars on Sunday special, I see. Ah, yes, because it's Yorkshire, isn't it? Yeah. we got the Beverly Sisters. <laughs> Roy Barraclough as an innkeeper. I don't know. I can't remember. 
Right, so John Bluthall as Fagin, Dora Bryan as Sari Gamp, Patrick Cargill as Mr. Wardle. Who's Mr. Wardle? I can't remember. Dinah Coupland as Mrs. Cratchit. Mr. Micawber. Oh, that's who Les Dawson's playing. Arthur English as a constable. Harry Fowler as Sam Weller. Didn't he play that in the famous movie with James Hatcher of the Pickwick Papers? Mentioned uh, Gerald Harper, Kathleen Harrison as Mrs. What? Melvin Hayes as Bob Cratchit. Isn't that bang on? Yes, yes, that's absolutely spot on. Yes, James Hater is reprising his role as Mr. Pickwick. I'm not going to tell you who's playing David Copperfield. (laughs) Everybody under the age of about deceased is is probably not going to (laughs) recognise the guy we're we're doing this big build-up to. Gordon Kay as Barnaby Rudge. John Laurie as Scrooge. Yay! Alfred Marks, Joe Gary. Uh, Bob Monkhouse as himself. Bob Monkhouse plays Uriah Heep as well. In that big middle section. Patrick Newell as Seth Pecksniff. I mean, just Pat Phoenix. We've got to watch as this Mrs. Crummels. Richard Todd turns up. Mr. Quilp, played by Patrick Troughton. Right, Sidney Carton. Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> it's a far, far better thing. Fred Truman. <laughs> I'll see thee. I know, of course, that you're going to um, miss the glories of Christmas. And you're going to miss most of Top of the Pops, yes. Because I know that... Uh, Come two o'clock. You're going to be tuning in the old radio to Radio 2 to listen to Hello Cheeky, Hello Christmas. Sorry, one day on cab radio, internet radio station attached to a message board, uh, supposedly we were put in charge of a Christmas schedule. I can't remember. It was a few days before Christmas, wasn't it? Yes. I don't think I had that much to do with it. Recorded bits of continuity and... In the middle of it was the Hello Cheeky Christmas special. Gary had picked without really listening to it beforehand. I didn't listen to any of it beforehand. And it was a real drag. And I wasn't there to listen to it at the time. Yeah, I was at my brother-in-law's house. And I'm just getting messages from Gary going, Oh, God, dying out here. A handful of you may remember as being on Cab Radio way, way back in the early days of the sitcom club. So if you were, you'll remember. And if you weren't, then here's the doings there was a message board attached to it like a sort of live chat thing and you could see how many people were listening to the stream as you were on so i'm watching the numbers slowly and then rapidly decrease at the same point at which i realized that the hello cheeky christmas special is one hour long now apologies for this birdie hiya i seem to remember it was Possibly yourself who was saying beforehand, oh great, hello Cheeky, I haven't had this for years, this is going to be fabulous. And then I remember you saying in the message room, oh dear, this isn't how I remember it, as in I remember it being funny. And the, the point where it really soured the atmosphere was when this shower called the New Vaudevillian Band turned up that was some sort of Poundland Vivian Stanchel business. And that was, uh, oh, and people in the chat room were urging me, just pull it, just get rid of it and put something else on. But the thing is, I couldn't because the entire playlist was all set out in Winamp already. And so if I'd started trying to pull things out, I could have potentially taken, you know, the entire stream off there. So I just had to see it through. And, oh, it was grim. That was a bad night. Thanks for reminding me of that. I knew there was a reason why I didn't look at the radio listings. I don't actually have anything to say in my notes up until 1977. So if you want to point well, things out. Now, here is the thing. Because 1974 is going to come along and it's going to spoil everybody's fun. And the reason it's going to spoil everybody's fun 
is because there's no new Markham White show. And this isn't right. This shouldn't be allowed. This should be illegal. But they actually mention it in their second autobiography. They, they mentioned BBC ringing up and asking could they get a Christmas show together. And they talked about how they went through a pile of scripts. But they felt that they didn't have a showstopper. They didn't have a really big finish. So they, they declined. What ended up happening is that BBC had a compilation put together. Funded by Michael Parkinson. But of course being repeats. That went out late at night. At 11.25 at night. So, 74, you've got basically war films. BBC One is showing Bridge on the River Kwai, and ITV is showing a Civil War film called The Undefeated with John Wayne and Rock Hudson. 74 was not exactly the most cheerful of years anyway. There's a lot of industrial strife, two general elections, and a lot of people just sort of thinking, ugh, just get this year over and done with. And yeah, that really seems to be the icing on the cake, doesn't it? No new Marco and Wise. I mean, if you love war films, well, hey, get two TVs set up and you'll enjoy yourself. However, one thing I will say in 1974's defence is that you do have one of your ideal Christmas Day films on in the afternoon. So if you've got one of those funny television recording contraptions that I think only Bob Monkhouse owns at this point, if you've got one of them, you could record this in the afternoon and watch it at night. Those magnificent men and their flying machines. I think I might watch it at the time and then watch it again at night. True Grit at five past four. Oh, yeah. And it's not even as good as the sequel, which we'll mention later on. Christmas Eve on BBC, we've got Aladdin. Now, how is this for a cast list? We've got Michael Aspel, we've got Dana, we've got Peter Glaze, we've got The Goodies, we've got Barry Gosney. If you don't recognise his name, he, of course, being Barry Gosney from The Harry Hill Show. Hi, I'm Goldie Hawn. Derek Griffiths, Derek Geiler. Don McLean, Pan's People, Ed Stewart and Richard Waters. There's a cast and a half. And also, I'm going to suggest that along with your Stars on Sunday, I think that you would probably have this right up there on the top of your ideal Christmas viewing pile. Unfortunately, this is not available on DVD. Boxing Day, ITV 74. Tonight with Danny LaRue and his special guests, Arthur Askey, Tony Hatch and Terry Wogan. That's good stuff, isn't it? That should have been on for three hours on Christmas night. Now, the funny thing is, I've actually come to the same conclusion as yourself, because for 75 and 76, I was sort of thinking, because the thing is that, thankfully, we've got new Mark and Wise in both years. But otherwise, I don't know, it seems like the, the, the template's been set, they've deviated from it in 74, they're not particularly strong years for ITV, and so you're going to gravitate towards BBC, you know what you're going to get, and... Pretty much what's on there are the things that we've already discussed. Largely, it's sort of things changing the order slightly, and sometimes it might be that Mike Yarwood's in perhaps like a more central slot or whatever it may be, but certainly there's no doubt about it. Mark and Wise are the stars of Christmas night. And by this point, you've got the change from John Ammons to Ernest Maxson as producer. So the shows in 75, 76, 77, they are the ones which I suspect tend to be the most plundered for clip shows in terms of them being visual spectacles and a lot of the, the sort of pastiches and parodies of the musical numbers. Lots of big performances like that, the kind of stuff that Ernie Wise really loved. Yeah, I mean, there's not to put down 75 or 76, but I think we've largely sort of covered their lineup in our previous discussion. 77. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't necessarily quote verbatim, but 77 
as Markham Wines themselves put it, that was a year that we tried so hard, we hit the jackpot. Now, Tilt. Christmas Day in 1977 on BBC One is the stuff of legend. It's going to have a ton of articles written about it in popular newspapers this year, being the 40th anniversary. In many ways, it's the de facto Christmas night lineup that people go to when they're talking about big audience pullers and the nation all being united and watching the television. So what was your impression of 77? It's a good one. I'm just trying, what was the ident that year? Ident was the Christmas pudding. As oh, so I mean the pudding is the, emu. yeah, the pudding is also held up as the perfect BBC One Christmas ident. In the morning, so-so, um, National Velvet, yeah. Top of the Pops, okay, I'm Billy Smart again. Even though it's been shown a couple of years earlier, Five Past Four, The Wizard of Oz, but it's now set in the middle of a much stronger schedule. Uh, that's just a great point to start. Basil Through the Looking Glass with Basil Brush, that's going to be froth and fun. Family Carols from the Albert Hall, right in the middle of the thing. That's quite interesting. It's more of an early... I think this is because it's a Sunday, isn't it? So that's the right. Sunday but that's going to be nice time just to see if there's anything left in the selection box. And the Christmas hymns are just going to give you that feeling. Bruce Forsyth, Mike Yarwood, Morkman Wise. Okay, the film that night is Funny Girl, and I, for some reason, I don't get on with that film. But yeah, from five past four to ten p.m., that's marvelous. Now, of course, there's some debate about which show had the most viewers because, as I understand, I think actually it was finally settled that Mike Yarwood actually had slightly more viewers than Morgan Wise. But you'll probably spot this whenever newspapers talk about this because it's sort of like a received wisdom thing. The newspapers will say, and it's true to an extent, half the population were watching those programmes. And not half the viewing audience, not half the television viewing audience, but half the actual population. In case anybody's shouting, EastEnders 1986, EastEnders 1986, that's a composite number based upon the number of people watching on Christmas night, and then the people watching the omnibus on the Sunday. So that's fibs. So yeah, if anybody tells you that like a higher audience and Morgan Wise, badness. Call them out on it. Publicly call them out on it. Name and shame them. Quick mention for ITV showing young Winston for nearly three hours. Now, this is the thing about this particular year because part of the reason, it's not in any way to put down the shows that BBC have got on, but part of the reason that they hit that phenomenally high figure is because ITV does put up the white flag. Young Winston's a really good film. It's directed by Richard Attenborough and it was released in 1971. And it was a film which obviously... Churchill did not live to see, but he gave his blessing to it. It was something that was in production for, I think, about a decade or so. And yeah, it's a really, really good film. It's well worth sitting down and watching. But not only is it not a Christmas night film, but when you've got that lineup opposite it, then there's no competition at all. Strangely enough, this leads me to my nomination for The Perfect Christmas. Because we've spoken about this before, where ITV suddenly remembers the existence of Christmas Day at a certain point. And there are always reasons for this. 
we have speculated about sometimes why that might be the case. It could be to do with just the, the day of the week that Christmas falls and the state of the economy and therefore when the sales are going to start in relation to Christmas Day, whatever it may be. But there's a lot I could say about this. I'm going to try and truncate this because we've been speaking for quite a while already and I know that you know we've still got the 1980s to look at. But as I was mentioning to yourself off air beforehand, there's something strange in my psyche. I can't really put um, I think on what it is, maybe somebody who's really good at sort of pop psychology can explain this. Whenever I read biographies, autobiographies, whatever it is, the bit that I'm always the most interested in is immediately after somebody's peak. So not the decline and not the peak itself, straight afterwards. That's the bit I'm always interested in. And that's what draws me to 1978 because 1977 is so good for the BBC and everybody involved that in a way, it can never be replicated. ITV decide in 78 that they're going to compete. In a way, the decision is made for them because they've signed Morecambe and Wise. And they've signed them in January 78. So obviously, it's been on the cards all year that ITV is going to have Morecambe and Wise. And I don't really think, as much as ITV would like to have put on Morecambe and Wise on something like, say, the 18th of December, it may be more valuable to them then, the public just wouldn't really stand for that at that time. So in a way, because they're going to have the nation's favourite programme on Christmas night, in a way that sort of rising tide lifts all boats argument. Everything else, they can't just put on, you know, a standard middling Christmas fair and then suddenly expect people to switch on and see Mock and Wise having turned over from whatever BBC showing. So Christmas Day 1978 on ITV in comparison to 77, it's a completely different universe. You've got, for example, you've got The Muppet Show, with Julie Andrews, I think, as a guest. You've got the first instance of a James Bond film and a premiere at that on Christmas Day, and that is Diamonds of Forever. You've also got special This Is Your Life, which, of course, they don't promote who the, the guest is in advance, but is, in fact, Muhammad Ali. Now, this is a great Christmas lineup, and it's quite astonishing to see it on ITV and in a way, the BBC, they sort of fold. They end up showing a TV movie sequel to True Grit without John Wayne. And that's their opposition to Morgan Wise. And they're sort of effectively saying, look, we know that people are going to watch Morgan Wise. So we're not going to put out one of our best shows opposite it because it's just not going to happen. A couple of little curious bits of trivia about this particular year. One is that apparently the idea was actually floated in Bill Cotton's office to put out a repeat of the 77 Mark and Wise Christmas show on Christmas Eve. I've heard this stated. I'm not entirely sure how true this is. And the reason that I'm a little bit suspicious about this and think it might be slightly apocryphal is that they did actually put out an edited version of the 77 Christmas show during the World Cup of 78 in the summertime. So, yeah, I'm a little bit sort of dubious about that. I think if they were to do anything like that, they probably would have put together a compilation. The following year, they did actually put together a compilation called Morecambe and Wise at the BBC with the continuity announcers saying the best years of Morecambe and Wise in their announcements. But they didn't try and do that over Christmas. Also, again, in the archives, we spoke about this before in the Industrial Action edition. This was a Christmas where, in one way or another, depending on what part of the country you were in, there was actually the prospect of there being no Christmas television <laughs> at all. Now, that is obviously staggering. It's something that 
unless we find ourselves in some horrible sort of dystopian future with remain indoors flashing on the screen then we're not likely to actually see that ever again. But of course, 1978, you've got three channels and there are industrial disputes with two of the ITV companies, including yours, Tilt, so no ITV for you, I'm afraid. And meanwhile, the BBC is embroiled in industrial action related to the government pay policy. And they've had disruption to the schedule all week. And then finally, a couple of days before the weekend, it hits them with blank screens. And there's even the prospect of the radio going off and the radio networks all have to collapse into one on the 22nd. Management say, we promise there will be viewing. If we have to go in and man the machines ourselves, there will be programmes on Christmas Day. So the prospect of there actually being nothing at all to watch on Christmas Day, it was being floated in newspapers. We're asking famous people, what do you plan to do if there's no TV? But as it was, of course, the BBC dispute gets resolved. And aside from Yorkshire's dispute, which leads to a few gaps in the ITV schedule, pretty much everything that year goes ahead as planned. I've got visions of Bill Cotton in Prezé with a sock puppet. Well, exactly. And th- th- I think this is why I suggested to yourself before. I mean, it's not very likely, but is there any possibility that the technicians, before they walked out, they might have just sort of loaded up that year's Christmas tape on the machines and hoping then that somebody's going to press a button because that probably would have that's a bit of scandal. But anyway, all of that going on, all of that aspect, that's what fascinates me about this particular Christmas. They have peaked. Christmas television, let's be absolutely bluntly honest about it, Christmas television has actually peaked in 77. Nobody really knows that yet, but over the next few decades, it's going to be a gradual decrease in the number of people watching specific programs. Now, I know this argument goes on these days about how Apparently young people are actually watching more linear TV today than they were in 2006. Yeah, that's fair enough. But also, they're watching different things. So no one programme really hits the heights anymore like it used to. But 78 is such an odd year because with the threat of there being no television and yet suddenly everything pretty much is there, Morgan and Wise are in the same slot as they were before but on the wrong channel, so to speak. Malcolm Wise actually isn't the highest viewed programme of that day. The highest viewed programme of that day was the premiere, uh, much vaunted and much publicised in the newspapers, the premiere of The Sound of Music on BBC One. And that's a two and three quarter hour film, for goodness sake. Didn't work for them with Titanic in 2000, but it worked for them in 78. And I think all of that combined, I think that's why I've selected this as my ideal Christmas, because I would have been absolutely fascinated of being completely in my element to the point where I've actually started imagining now precisely where I put myself in the country. I want to put myself in somewhere where there's free ITV regions to choose from. I'd hire two TV sets and two video recorders like Benny Hill and basically I wouldn't miss anything that year. That would be a joy to behold. And tragically because of the dispute at Yorkshire our much promised free 2-1 Christmas special will actually be going out at the end of January. I think 1980 is an interesting one for ITV. Okay, they do show the George and Mildred film, <laughs> Tempest 3. But we do have a 321 Christmas special that goes out, Bond film. We were saying earlier about how there's a kind of a pattern with BBC in the 70s. This is like ITV trying to say, right, this is the new Christmas pattern for ITV. 321, Bond film, Mocko and Wise, this is your life. And then a special with Janet Brown. It's that mild sense that this is a picture of them continuing to fight at Christmas. 
But of course, BBC is showing Dallas. No, 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 no soaps. No soaps that are not Coronation Street that can at least go comedy for the day. Yeah, because it's not a Christmas. I, mean, I think I'm right in saying it's not a Christmas special, Dallas. And even if it is a Christmas special, it's not them having a big old knees up, is it? I mean, it's going to be part of the continuing story. And yeah, of course, it's a ratings juggernaut at that particular point. So I get that. It makes absolute perfect sense to use that on Christmas night. But no, it's not Christmassy, not Christmas viewing. The strange thing is that ITV, despite their success in 78, even though, as we said, BBC still had the highest audience of the day with Julie Andrews, ITV doesn't really get a run of Christmas night success as some people might have thought that they would have done in 78. And there's a variety of reasons for that. But in 79, for example, the BBC doesn't wave the white flag and they go with the premiere of The Sting. And Eddie Morgan mentioned this in his autobiography with Ernie Wise, the fact that ITV had put on the Free Musketeers film and had allowed it to be still showing whilst the sting was beginning on the other side. And that sort of knocked them down the ratings a little bit. By 1981, of course, suddenly ITV politics gets involved and ITV in the evening is suddenly the property of London Weekend for the next three years. So 1980 actually turns out to be the final Mark and Wise show on Christmas night. And it did make the newspapers in 81. There were, there were people you know, upset about the fact that the Mark and Wise were not going to be on on the night itself. I think it would have had more impact if that had happened in 78. But having had the free Christmas nights on ITV, I think by that point, I think as, as, as much as it was still you know, not particularly palatable to the, the public, it wasn't quite the sort of shock order that it would have been three years early. So we get into the new decade. And BBC One, by virtue of having both Morgan Wise and Bruce Forsyth defect to the other side for Christmas 78, they've had to make changes to their schedule. And it takes a little while for BBC One Christmas to settle down at that point. I want to say a couple of things in defence of 1981. And I don't know why I say in defence of 1981 as if it was some sort of... Who's on the attack? What? (laughs) I, I, I don't know. For a start, I want to be in London. And the reason that I want to be in London is because at 5 to 6 on Christmas Eve, whilst all the other areas have got regional news on BBC One, of course, we all know that at this point in proceedings, there is no regional news in London because London apparently isn't a region. So they don't have it on BBC One. So viewers in London actually get Tom and Jerry the night before Christmas. Isn't that wonderful? And that's so much more civilised. Yeah, get rid of the damn regional news. Who wants that? It's just going to bring things down. No, let's have Tom and Jerry. And then, how's this for a Christmas Eve lineup? Little and large, with special guests, the Stutz Bearcats. Top of the Pops, a live Top of the Pops, with Kid Jensen. Christmas Eve 81. Are You Being Served? Christmas Special. Kenny Everett's first show for the BBC, having moved over from Thames that year. Poseidon Adventure, hmm. And then the good old days, well, hey. And you've got your special guests, including John Inman, Barry Howard, Jimmy Cricket. That's a Christmas Eve lineup and a half, isn't it? Christmas Day, again, don't know if this is just a piece of nonsense, but I've heard this suggested. Supposedly, Christmas Day, 1981, BBC One's main film is a British thriller. It's about a planned heist and a bank vault. Stars Martin Sheen, Albert Finney. It's called Loophole. And it wasn't all that old 
So it got to the screens, you know, quite quickly. Supposedly, some people in the BBC, having seen Christmas Day listings, which have this title loophole at 9.25, were under the impression that this was actually some sort of code. And that the BBC had somehow managed to maybe acquire Raiders of the Lost Ark for Christmas <laughs> night or something because there's a loophole that they've been able to exploit. But no, no. 82, of course, the black hole. There you go. We'll leave that there. Of course, 82, of course, that's when TSW starts appearing on the screen and starts getting fussy and what have you. And then they opt out. TSW has a temerity in its first year to opt out of the big film on Christmas night on ITV. Who do they think they are? And of course, 1983, you've got Brucey, Tarby, Revenge of the Pink Panther on ITV. That's where I'm going to be. But yourself, on the other hand, your attention has been diverted towards 1984. Yes. I I don't know if I'm wanting to see. Yeah, okay. I could live with this one. There's one thing that I'm not a big fan of in the middle of it, but this is such an amazing stretch of perfectly appropriate Christmas programming. Not so fussed about, well, yeah, I can watch Noel on top of the telecom tower, strapped to the side, screaming. 25 to 1, Blue Murder at St. Trinian's. Yeah, fine. That'll wash over me. Wonderful. Alistair Sim and George Cole just acting together is lovely to watch anyway. Top of the Pops. Okay, 84's not necessarily the most exciting year, but we've still got some of the energy left over from the new pop. Mary Poppins at 10 past 3. And I believe that the BBC made a big fuss about that, that they're going going to get to show Mary Poppins. 5.30, Christmas Blankety Blank with Les Dawson. 5 past 6, Heidi Height. Now here is where it gets interesting. This is a Christmas day you can actually quite easily recreate for the most part. That Christmas Blankety Blank is on YouTube. That Heidi High is going to be on DVD. Maybe it's edited. I don't know where you get hold of that. Yes, Paul Daniels' Magic Christmas Show which for for me is part of the legendary Christmas. I didn't really grow up with Markham and Wise on Christmas Day or, my, or even Mikey Arwood. So to me, that's something we've kind of let pass without comment. Paul Daniels on Christmas night, that's kind of a thing. Just good friends, well, there'll be a few good laughs in it. <sighs> Five to nine, the two Ronnies. Okay, it's not 87, which <laughs> has that moment. That's That's him! Then a wagon, five past ten, beginning to get a bit sleepy. Okay, his guests aren't people that I really look forward to seeing at Christmas. Freddie Stark, Yerita Kanawa, Elton John, Victoria Principal, but I'm sure the chat will be fine. And then Some Like It Hot, which to me is another one of those movies that you can kind of let fly by on Christmas Day. I think that's a really great lineup. It is. It is very good. What is on the other side? Actually, can I just quickly mention, because we've sort of zoomed over, on Channel 4, which is now a thing, at uh, 10 to 2, Jean de Fête, Jacques Tati, followed by an adaptation of The Young Visitors. I'd like to see that. I'm not aware of that version. The Patrick Barlow adaptation was fantastic, but I'm really going to have to seek out this other version. Tracy Ullman and Kenny Ireland. But over on ITV... A uh, Bond film, Man with the Golden Gun. Mm. Give us a clue at the half past five. Tribute to Eric Morecambe. And then we've got Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I didn't watch that Christmas. I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time about three weeks ago. 
That's <laughs> <laughs> just just a point. Wouldn't you say tribute to Markham? That's not like a, a documentary. That is a big two and a half hour show. If you were to read out the who's on that show, it would take us as long as it did to read out the cast of Sandwich Man because everybody's on that show. Yeah, it is quite something. I would love to see that show in full. There are clips of it on YouTube, bits and pieces, but it would be lovely to see that in full. And yeah, Raiders. I mean, that, that was a particularly strong showing, as I remember correctly, for ITV that year because Raiders of the Lost Ark did good numbers for them. But I'm willing to say there for BBC One, that's a Christmas I could just fudge out. It's not got the intense focus of 77, but it's the longest stretch of programmes that I can happily sit through. And Peter Wingard's in the two Ronnies that night. Hey! (laughs) Now, one of the interesting little aspects about 84 is that for all we've spoken about, about ratings and what got the highest viewing figures and so on, this is the first one where the ratings war actually sort of spills over into out-and-out conflict. Not necessarily armed conflict or anything like that, but the listings that you've got in the Radio Times for Christmas 1984 are actually incorrect when it comes to Boxing Day. And the reason is, I think I'm right in saying this was Michael Grade's first Christmas as BBC One controller, and he took the decision having then seen ITVs line up, and ITVs line up was again particularly strong on Boxing Night because they had Mike Yarwood by this point so his show was on Boxing Night also a new episode of Minder and I think the premiere of Airplane the film and in response to that Michael Grade actually rejigged the Boxing Day lineup to make sure that they were at least going to stay competitive and they didn't have one of their big shows starting an awkward time in comparison with ITV the strange thing is that in a way, you sort of expect more of that kind of thing, perhaps even in the, the 70s, but it certainly underlines the fact that this is one of the years where ITV's taking things seriously. As time goes on, as the 1980s go on, 1985, of course, is our first appointment with Del Boy and co. on Christmas Day. And that gets, I think it's somewhere in the region of 20 million. Don't talk opposite. about 1985. We did that last year. We've done it. Did we? Yeah, that was the Green Bird experiment. You want to know what we think about 85. And of course, last year was 2016. Why didn't we pick 1986 as one of the years we might do? Because 86 is horrible. I'm willing to wind up the show right here because what you need to know about 86. Tell, go on, tell them what happened in 86. And then I think we'll just call it a night. Okay, 1986 is that oh, Enders, which goes and spoils everybody's fun and I mentioned it as well that whoever it was who's associated with EastEnders actually saying that they wanted to spoil people's Christmases as far as I'm concerned that should have been a treasonable offence so that happens and ITV is disappointing and what have you and 1987 just to wrap things up 1987 ITV actually wins the Christmas night ratings believe it or not and it's largely helped by Gene Alexander's farewell in Coronation Street and then as time goes on of course 1980s progresses. One person has been completely forgotten about. You mentioned Paul Daniels just now. Somebody's been completely forgotten about in terms of being a fixture on Christmas night and also getting really good numbers for the BBC is Russ Abbott. Russ Abbott's always there on Christmas night in the late 1980s. But as is our way on Java Cakes for Proust, we don't tend to go a lot further than the late 1980s with our discussions. So tragically, there's no time to discuss Christmas Day 1993 on ITV. People have listened to every show we've done are familiar with what happened on Christmas Day 1993. 
Oh, just to throw in, by the way, one spanner, and just to also sort of you know, bring things full circle, because you started the, the show by talking about how fragmented ITV's schedules are on Christmas night in the 1960s. 1991, believe it or not, you actually have a split schedule. Some regions follow Thames and some don't, because Thames wanted to put Minder in a peak time slot at 8 o'clock, and other regions put it out at quarter past 10. So that's a really odd example of in relatively recent memory that kind of thing happening wouldn't happen nowadays of course okay we've gone for 1978-1984 let's face it they're all good years apart from 86 knock yourself out have any Christmas you like and enjoy it and in 2017 I'm going to have the Amazon Fire Stick running probably playing something off Plex maybe watching WWE Network what about yourself you can be watching something on Filmstruck or something there's a good chance of that yeah so I'll bring down some dvds who knows but next week it's the last and second sitcom club of 2017 it is indeed it is indeed it's not it's the last one of 2017 not the last sitcom club ever because there'll be new ones next year of course i'm not entirely sure why we've decided to do this but we have inexplicably come to the conclusion that it would be a good idea to spend christmas with itv and particularly with ITV sitcoms. And that's what we're going to be doing on the Sitcom Club this time next week. From the shelf, we've pulled down the network DVD, ITV Christmas Comedy. And we've gone through all the shows. We're not going to talk about the shows that we dealt with when we did Christmas in October a few years ago. But that will be the Sitcom Club next week. Indeed. And in the meantime, you can find all of our previous shows, including the previously referenced Jaffa Cakes and also the Green Bart Experiment from this time last year. You can find all of those at podnose.com. You can follow us if you search The Sitcom Club, strangely enough, on Facebook or Jaffa's for Proust on Twitter. And we will be with you again next week with The Sitcom Club. In the meantime, from yourself, Tilt, Goodbye. Gary saying thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.